Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's Live in the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Bream, um, somebody I think will be so helpful to us as we are watching the craziness in Washington. He himself is former chair of the House Oversight Committee. You know him also as a Fox News contributor. He is a bestselling author. He's also an amazing photographer. He has a lot of talents you may or may not know about. Former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, welcome to Live in the Bream. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Always great to chat with you. Um, listen, you are a perfect person for us to talk to today. This will go out over the next few days. But while we are talking, we are now, I think, in the eighth round of voting right. for the potential Speaker of the House. And listen, let's be honest. Um, it may be settled by the time people are listening to this. This could go on for days, weeks. We have no idea how long. At this moment, Kevin McCarthy does not have the coalition of votes he needs from Republicans. There are these ongoing back and forth negotiations. Other names keep coming up. Um, How do you see this ending and when? I think it ends uh, when Kevin decides it ends. Um, He either uh, succumbs to the demands and and gets there um, or he throws in the towel and says, look, I my ability to govern and to actually do the job is, is I, I just won't be able to do it. Um, I think we could have seen this coming back in November 9th um, when the margin of the Republican victory was, was so small with only mm-hmm. a four seat margin. And, and, you know, when you're predicting that over the summer before that you could be 60, um, you know, it's just it becomes very difficult. It becomes nearly impossible. And you know, that's the way the framers set it up. It's a very, very high bar to get there. Yeah, and so there have been negotiations. There have been some what seem like pretty significant concessions from McCarthy to his various critics and opponents. But now as I'm looking up at the screen, it looks like he's going to fail on this eighth vote as well. So, uh, you know, uh, there have been some concessions. There are some who say no matter what he promises or gives us, I'm just not going to vote for him. It looks like he can overcome that number. But really, what is it? He can lose four or five. And that's it. So we have at least two or three that are like, I'm a never McCarthy or there's no way I'm ever voting for him. But at what point does he say, OK, I, I concede I'm not going to get there. And who is the number two choice? I mean, who are people going to coalesce around um, if they you know, can't get more than 2021 20, protest votes in favor of someone other than McCarthy? Um, I, if there was a simple, easy solution and a crystal ball, I, but nobody quite knows. But um I think there's a, it's very personal at this point. It's mm-hmm. probably too personal. There is distrust going both ways. There is deep-seated animosity that had built over years um, that's not uh, easily overcome. Um, you know, the 20 or so that are voting against Kevin McCarthy or voting for somebody other than Kevin McCarthy, I think they would do well to put out, this is what we want to see happen, and then mm-hmm. we'll come vote for him. But I think the reason you haven't seen that is because there's some that are in that camp of never, ever. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second thing I think they should do is, hey, here's a list of people that we would actually vote for. 
And, you know, they've talked about uh, Donald's. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there are other people on that list, um, some not even in the body anymore. Mm-hmm. But at some point... the former president who got a vote today. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to happen. That's just sort of silly season. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's not going to do that. So, But I do like this idea of somebody who's not actually in the House ending up... Because I can remember years past, Colin Powell and many other people that were right. well-respected in Washington would, you know, their names would come up. Um, how you get to 218 on any one of those people, I don't know. But, you know, at some point, does McCarthy cry uncle? Uh, well, again, it, it, we get to that point, And if it happens, again, it's a big if. If Kevin steps aside and says, you're going to have to do this without me, um, there are going to be a lot of people mad. They're going to have to take a, big, a, a deep breath and then go find that person that can get to 218 and govern. Now, I think on that list, um, one of the top people would be Lee Zeldin. Um, people have talked about that a little bit, but Zeldin is well-respected. The New York victories were um, strong, and a lot of credit goes to Lee Zeldin. Everybody likes Lee. He's a super nice guy, mm-hmm. um, but he's also well, very I mean, conservative, you know, and he's yeah, also very well-known. Right, and people that are trying to get him to run for RNC chair against Ronald McDaniel. I mean, I think that there are a lot of Republicans out there who feel like, yeah, he was one of the bright spots for them on election night, so why not find a place to put him that will give him more prominence? Well, and look, he's not asking for it. He's not campaigning for it. Um, and that seems to be very appealing in its own weird way. I mean, mm-hmm. that's in part how we got Paul Ryan. Right. Paul Ryan was adamant. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. That's not what my, I want to be the, the, you know, the chairman of Ways and Means. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I aspire to. That made him more appealing. We also knew that he was policy-oriented, that he was the smartest person in the room and that stuff. There's really three paths, to, I think, ascending to, to leadership, to the spot. One is through oversight. That's how John Boehner got there. People forget the early banking scandals, the franking issues. That was all John Boehner early in his career. That's really kind of where he forged his his uh, congressional career. Then there's the policy-oriented people, um, and I would think of Paul Ryan in that regard. Newt Gingrich had a plan, and he, you know, he was he was widely heralded and and supported. And then there's the third category, which is sort of the Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy attempt, which is I raise the most money, so mm-hmm. I deserve it. Um, but that's not as appealing on the Republican side. I think some people are almost offended by that. Okay, so you raise the most money. Um, this is an open seat, Shannon. Mm-hmm. It's not as if he's been the speaker. It's an open seat. But he has been in leadership for 14 years. And for some people, that's just like, you know, these are people that advocate for term limits. And they're just not convinced that there's going to be any sort of change if you keep having the same leaders in place and you have a poor performance uh, at the ballot box during the election. What do you make of, listen, Democrats and a lot of the mainstream media are like, oh, my goodness, look at Republicans. They're a disaster. They can't (laughs) run anything. They can't do anything. I mean, I I feel like that's expected that they would say that. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the Democrats had some headaches with the squad, you know, during the time of Nancy Pelosi, um, who was then speaker. And, you know, there's always going to be party infighting, but it seems like a lot of the media is having a lot of fun with this, saying this proves that you can't trust Republicans to be grownups. Yeah. They, and they forget about the Senate mansion and, and uh, cinema and all that. I mean, how easily they dismiss that. Um, 
look, I have long argued for years that the process by which a party nominates their person to become the speaker or to become the minority leader is is sadly broken. There's almost no transparency to it whatsoever. I mean, it is so opaque. There's no debate. There's no accountability. We don't know who behind closed doors voted for who. Um, it, it's just it, it it happens very swift. Um, and until you fix that process, I think we'll have these types of problems again in the future. But remember, these types of negotiations that are going on evidently right now, they should have been happening back in November after the election. Well, and you know, some of the conservatives will say, we started this conversation with him months ago. Because they were hopeful, obviously, that right. they would have, um, you know, a good election night. Better, they were hoping for, obviously. But, you know, they were they were realistically hopeful that they would retake the House. And so that they felt like, let's go ahead and have these conversations with them. He's the guy who wants to be Speaker. They say it hasn't come to anything. But here we are. It looks like we're going to be headed to a ninth round as you and I are speaking. Um, okay, so let's talk about a couple of other things because, you but, know. But can you, I go back to that part sure, for a quick sure. second? Kevin McCarthy didn't think he needed these people. They were highly disposable because they were going to win by a large margin. So he kind of poo-pooed them, shunned them, kind of brushed them off to the side, didn't have a serious talk with them. And now I think he just thought they would cave. And he's finding out mm-hmm. the hard way that, yeah, that that's not exactly happening. And the yeah. number is bigger. Remember, it was reported for a long time. Oh, it's four people. It might be five. Right. And then it ends up being 20. Last count, it was, yeah, and last time around 21. Right, and the, right. The, we're not done with the eighth round yet, but it looks like it's heading in that direction as well. Okay, let me ask you moving forward, when they get this eventually figured out, um, Republicans will now be chairing important committees uh, that they were not for the last two years. You know how oversight works, um, judiciary and others, and there's been a lot of promising to conservative voters that they will hold um, you know, hearings into the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan what Hunter Biden was up to. Um, was the president involved in any way that was inappropriate with Hunter Biden's business dealings? Um, COVID, Dr. Fauci, so many other things. Right. They've made some big promises, at least to conservatives. Now, you know, you have Democrats, the White House and others saying this is just political pandering and hit jobs. And I thought that they were going to be about inflation and doing serious work, which is, you know, what you would expect the other side to say. But there's a lot of expectation on them. And what happens is that, you know, there are Republicans, voters who will say, yeah, I, I, you know, I have my doubts. They told us they were going to repeal Obamacare and all these other things that they never did when we actually elected them. So how much pressure will there be on these hearings, these investigations, and for some level of accountability? Well, that is the one thing that I think Republicans in the House can accomplish. Now, as my friend Trey Gowdy, former colleague, uh, likes to say, uh, your ability to issue and enforce a subpoena and have it, you know, have it enforced is only as good as the ability of the Department of Justice to enforce it. And you can see a scenario, which I went through when I was the chairman and lived through, where I would issue subpoenas and the Department of Justice would just sort of yawn and not do anything about it. Well, there was, as I remember, some contempt situation. Yes. Um, when I think back, back, back to the, you know, Attorney General Eric Holder situation. Um, and it seems like that contempt of Congress has been treated differently than some of the current contempt of Congress. Oh, totally, totally. Look, I issued a, a subpoena, for instance, two of them, actually, on the uh, the IT specialist for Hillary Clinton. Now, at the time, we had all these destroyed documents, bleach bit, you know, destroyed uh, documents and whatnot. 
Um, and so we wanted to talk to the IT specialist, and I subpoenaed all of his uh, internal emails while he worked at the State Department. The State Department said, well, he never sent or received a single email. He was in the IT department what? and didn't have an email account, and he never sent <laughs> okay. and received one? Give me a break. Let's have him come testify. Well, he didn't even show up. So I, I, I issued another subpoena. Didn't show up. Gave him a, a referral to the Department of Justice for contempt of Congress. Guess what? They did nothing. Now, compare that to the Biden administration in the last two years when they went through the January 6th administration. And, and, you know, they had the Steve Bannon case. Man, he didn't show up. And guess what? They held him. I mean, they in, in right? days they were they were bringing him to court. They were doing all these things. The precedent that they set over the last two years do you think I, I just don't have faith that the traditional, you know, so-called traditional media will report it. But why is the lady justice acting different when it's the Biden administration as opposed to the to, you know, when it was the Trump administration? It, it, those types of things, Shannon, I think are going to be terribly frustrating. But again, you can lay out the differences. And it's why, in part, we have a divided country that doesn't believe there's so many on the conservative side that don't believe that um, that lady justice is is keeping that blindfold on. They're checking to make sure it's a if it's a Biden or a Clinton or something or the Obama administration or you know it, it acts differently than if it was Trump or a Republican or a conservative. And that that's the concern. Well, because I think people want to feel like they can trust their institutions, like the FBI, yeah, like yeah. Congress, wherever that it's going to it's going to act impartially and do what's right. But gosh, we've seen a lot of erosion in how people feel. Listen, Congress for a while has had a terrible approval rating. Although when you ask people about their individual member, a lot of times they feel good about them, but they don't feel good about the institution. But some of these other places, too, um, you know, people have growing suspicion and disregard. And that's not healthy. I don't think any of us as Americans think for us to not believe that DOJ or FBI or wherever would treat us all the same way, um, regardless of political affiliation. Um, That's our hope. And, um, you know, both sides will point fingers and say, you're the one who's undermining um, trust in this this agency. You're the one who's saying defund FBI. Um, You know, there's a lot of back and forth in Washington about optics and about who can and cannot be trusted and who's doing the undermining of these institutions. Yeah, the erosion of confidence um, is dangerous. Uh, When you don't have confidence in law enforcement or the Department of Justice or the Supreme Court, you know, trying to delegitimize them, does does our nation no good whatsoever. Um, and, And I think that is dangerous. You know, it's interesting because all the, oh, we hate Congress, we don't like Congress, um, yet (laughs) I think one of the main themes or stories coming out of the latest election was almost no incumbents lost. I mean, if you were an incumbent, it just kept reelecting the same people. I mean, and that kind of goes back to the... um, to the case of what's going on with Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy has been in leadership for 14 years, yet the mm-hmm. majority of the majority in in the Republicans' case want to continue on with Kevin McCarthy. And so what makes you think it's going to be any different when you have, he's been in leadership? When you're in the minority, you only there's only two people in leadership. When you're in the majority, it's it's only three people. So he's been one of those two or three people for 14 years. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to talk about the border because we have now gotten word that the president is going to go to the border on Sunday, I believe. Um, That's now public information in El Paso. And um, listen, the border crisis has been bad for a long time. Whether Republicans are in charge, Democrats are in charge, nobody has solved it. It, It's gotten continually worse. And we're now hitting historic highs nearly every month when it comes to how many people. And these are ones we know about. And the estimates about these so-called gotaways who come into the country completely uh, undetected and with no, you know, way to track or record their presence. Um, Those are, are, you know, by most accounts, and this is not these are not partisan numbers. This is data from government agencies that are nonpartisan. It's it's simply numbers on a piece of paper. And they have gotten exponentially worse under this administration. Now, just a month ago, the president was asked by our Peter Ducey about why he went to Arizona and didn't visit the border. And he said something about there were more important issues. Well, now um, it looks like the, you know, I, I, I wonder what your thinking is on why the White House has at this moment decided the president's finally going. Um, I think the political pressure on both sides of the aisle, the numbers are staggering. The deaths from fentanyl, uh, the drug uh, drugs, you have big city mayors um, and governors on the Democratic side of the aisle. I think of Jared Polis in Colorado, the mayor mm-hmm. of Denver. Uh, I think Mayor McAdams uh, Adams in, in New York City. Others saying this is out of control and we have to file emergency for emergency aid. And so when the Democrats have now started to say, hey, this is a real problem from places other than Texas and Arizona, um, you even had Gavin Newsom out there saying this is untenable in California. That's kind of gotten his attention. But, you know, I watched his latest comments, and I know this won't come out for a few days, but earlier today when I heard them, uh, the president was aloof. I, he was um, uh, didn't understand the law. Uh, there is a definition of credible fear, which will allow people to claim asylum. He obviously does not know what that is, even though he's been a senator for I don't know how many decades he was there. Um, it's stunning that he's never been there. And let's see on Sunday if he actually listens to Border Patrol agents who have yet to be able to have a serious discussion and tell him. I mean, don't believe, you know, Jason Chaffetz or whatever. Talk to the 20,000 plus border Mm -hmm. patrol agents who tell you it is a disaster. We're being overrun. And it's just inhumane. I mean, for all the compassion that think the Democrats think they have, it's inhumane. I mean, people are dying. It's it's much more difficult than... Yeah, the drug cartels are clearly in charge. Yeah, they are running, you know, significant portions of the border in which people who come here seeking out of desperation, a better life, a better opportunity, whatever it is they're coming for. You know, when they're drawn here by whatever communicates to them that there is some kind of opening. um, We see these people, you know, abused and raped and trafficked and killed. And um, I think that we had in the last fiscal year the highest number of migrant deaths at the border that we've ever recorded. And so these are real families, real people, real human beings. And, um, you know, something's got to be changed, whether that means funding more immigration judges or whatever it is. 
um, when I talk to people on both sides of the aisle, you know, Democrats will say, unless we can figure out a path forward for the millions who are here um, illegally, primarily those who were brought here as children through no um, decision of their own, then we we can't negotiate unless we can get to that. Whereas Republicans will tell me, I'm sorry, until we secure the border, we're not negotiating over anything. So um, you've been there. You've seen it. Do you think there's any hope for real resolution, some actual progress on the border? Well, I think the Republican position is, well, you talk a big game about immigration reform, uh, but you had the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And so Which Republicans I, did, too. I know, but when I when I heard the president earlier today talking about this, the Republicans are not serious about this, I was just infuriated. Uh, let me give you a, a quick example. I had a bill to deal with uh, visa reform that clearly would have affected, it was supported by all these outside groups, um, and I got... 385 votes in the House of Representatives. Bipartisan. 85 votes for anything. Yes. And I got on immigration. (laughs) The moment it was sent over, I mean, within the hour, uh, the Biden, uh, the uh, uh, Obama Biden administration said, uh, we will not sign this bill, even though almost all the Democrats in the House signed it. And Harry Reid at the time over in the Senate said, we will not take this up. And so our staff went over and talked to Harry Reid's staff and said, hey, what, we foreshadowed this. We've been working with you. You knew it was coming. It, it, this is you know supported by all these groups. And they came back and they said, listen, let's just be honest. We're not going to allow a Republican to have a victory on immigration. Mm-hmm. We just don't are not going to do that. And so it was a very honest answer to our staff, and I really do believe that. But when you have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and then you say Republicans aren't serious, how does that work? Like, wait a sec, you didn't even introduce the bill, let alone pass the bill. It's not as if the bill came to the floor or the or the Senate and it failed. You didn't even get to that point. I, I Again... When people are coming here to claim asylum, you have to meet the credible fear standard. To say you want to better your life or you've been oppressed, that's not good enough. That's why 90 plus percent of the people who mm-hmm. file for asylum fail. Uh, but what they're doing, the drug cartels are clever, right? You're supposed to go to a port of entry to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. You see him down there. Hey, I mean, how many times have we seen Bill Malusian down on the border, you know, or William Lajeunesse at the border? And then you see thousands of people crossing, not at the port of entry, but trying to cross the river. That's because they know it takes all of our border patrol agents to go over there. They surge the resources. Meanwhile, they leave another part of Texas or Arizona open, and that's where they're running the drugs and the, the human trafficking stuff, the people that pay big dollars from other countries to get their people through. And we're finding people on the terror watch list and those types of things. Mm-hmm. It, it's a well, and, complicated, and- but enforce the law, Mr. President. Enforce the current law. Well, when it looked like we had a potential, some kind of framework coming together with senators, I believe it was Cinema and Tillis, um, I'm told one of the big sticking points they couldn't get together on was that sending people to ports of entry. They wanted people to be able to declare asylum at any point in, uh, of the border or any place that they can get to U.S. soil and not put them through to ports of entry where, um, you know, there's a little bit more of a framework for handling people coming in. So we shall see whether the president's visit there provokes any kind of real motion, movement, progress on Capitol Hill. Meanwhile, whenever you're listening to this, if it hasn't been Sunday, January 8th yet, 
please come on over and join us on Fox News Sunday because Jason Chaffetz is going to be one of our panelists. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about these hot topics and more. Honored to be on it. Congratulations on the show. It is awesome. You. You're perfect. You are oh, so per- you, like friend. you are custom made to host this show. So oh, I'm, I'm looking do, forward to it. Yes. Do go on, my friend. Well, thank no, you. you really are. We, your legal no. background and all your experience. This is it's going to be fun. Well, it is an honor. I enjoy it. And I'm so glad that you're going to be with us. And sneak preview, Janice Dean is too. So get ready for some fun and frivolity as well. That is it on this week's Live in the Bream. Jason, thank you. I'll see you Sunday. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.